0: GMs, have you ever felt like banishing a player to the Astral Sea for insisting your rule interpretation was
1: bogus? Players, have you ever felt frustrated that a 19 on a perception check only tells you that there may or may not be something there? Half-orcs, do you have trouble finding a good dentist in the Forgotten Realms? Then this is the podcast for you.
0: Where we take a hard look at the rules of the game, the reality of the table, and the roll of the dice to solve D&D's most heated arguments.
1: This is Raw and Order.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: Okay, welcome back everyone to yes. episode two of Raw and Order. Yay! Uh, we're we're so thrilled to be back doing an episode two. We were, I think, like really happy with the reception from the thrilled. first episode. Right. Um, granted, ninety five percent of our listeners were our friends, uh,
0: <laughs> and the, yes,
1: <laughs> and the other five percent was my mom. So <laughs> she, she wow. knows she knows nothing about D anD D, and I think mm. she was just really grateful to learn that Dungeons and Dragons isn't like a sex position. So,
0: (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say like devil worship, but yeah, that would be. (laughs) I,
1: yeah, I think the sex position would horrify her more. Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, Hey, maybe she's, she'll learn a thing or two about D and D. She'll get really excited. Hi, Anna's mom. And, (laughs) uh, and then maybe you guys are going to like play D and D every holiday. Now, when you go back to Canada, once it's, you know, safe to do that.
1: That seems like it would be right up her alley. Yeah. That seems yeah. Indian mom all over. Just that's perfect.
0: Um, Yeah, no, I I was so excited. Um, and th- kudos to you for our social media presence. So we, okay, we finally have our Twitter sorted out. It's at raw and order DND. Do not go to, <laughs> to raw and order. Listen, when I made this podcast, I'm a gay man. I knew that the word raw has a sexual connotation and you know in my mind there was a little glimmer of like maybe someone might interpret this oddly but it it, it makes sense it's funny for dnd clearly someone had thought of this for gay porn so if you yep. want to see some gay porn go to and i'm sorry anna's mom go to at <laughs> raw and order <laughs> but if you want to see our twitter it's at raw and order You could submit questions on Twitter. um, Email us with questions. Our email address is rawandorderdnd at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, We also
1: have a Facebook page. uh, We do. Which is also at rawandorderdnd or just rawandorder and and you'll probably find us. Um, So now we know that raw order is holistic, gluten-free, garbage food, uh, (laughs) gay porn, and... (laughs) I didn't even put this together before I started mm. looking for our podcasts online, but it's mm-hmm. also wrestling. So, yep. raw. we are WWE.
0: Yeah. WWF, <laughs> w- all the W's WWE, <laughs> WWF, www.com, all of them wrestling. <laughs> we got so, it all. So, we got it all. Listen, what we're trying to say is Anna and I are super original. Yeah. And <laughs> we clearly came up with something that no one has ever thought of before.
1: Invented Raw. Yep.
0: Yep. Um, But listen, ours is at least, uh, is it an acronym? An anagram? What what do you call it when it's
1: an acronym? An an acronym, acronym. yes. Right?
0: (laughs) Rules as written. So whatever. Um, We are also, Mm -hmm. oh,
1: I was just going to say that our podcast is now on Stitcher, uh, Mm -hmm. on Spotify, on iTunes, on TuneIn, Mm -hmm. and I think waiting for approval to get onto Google Podcasts.
0: So. Yeah. Exciting. Um yeah, and I meant to do this last episode, but I want to give a verbal shout out to our artist who made the wonderful logo, my friend zach oh, yeah. Kruger. Um it's hilarious and I love it. And my brother, Tom Frayoli, you got to say it like that when you're talking about <laughs> Long islands where I'm from. Hello. Um imagine that should be one of my characters. Hello. I would love to hear
1: that for an entire campaign. <laughs>
0: My So the, the for those of you who are looking for a little acting, acting advice, my tip for doing the traditional Long Island accent is you have to like sing the end of the word. Think Linda Belcher from Bob's Burgers if you've seen it. <laughs> That's that all is, I ever think about. It's such a good like <laughs> example of a Long Island accent because John Roberts, who voices that character, is from Long Island. This is a tangent, but if you go to uh, YouTube and type in like John Roberts Christmas tree, you'll see the videos he did before he was Linda Belcher. About talking about his Christmas tree on Long Island, and it's hilarious. He dresses as his mom, it's great. So, you sing the end of it, and then you add a uh, rah to it. So, like, my mom's name is Linda, but you don't just say Linda, you say Linda rah. <laughs> so, so, you add the uh, rah to it.
1: I, I feel like you're pausing and expecting me to do this accent, but I'm not going no. to do this accent. it's <laughs> fine. That's not so gonna I'm happen. I'm
0: gonna talk <laughs> like this from now on. Hello, Ara. Uh,
1: um, See no. <laughs> okay,
0: all right. I tried. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, I'm excited to step away from the news. Yes. Um, uh, you know, crumbling of democracy is super exciting, but also terrifying and. And horrible and not at all what I want to be happening in America. So we're just going to forget that that's happening. And we're going to instead talk about, talk about tabletop games. We're going
1: to do the thing that D&D is best known for. Escapism.
0: So yes. 100%. <laughs> Get the
1: hell out of real life and let's talk D&D.
0: Yeah, totally. And uh, we have our amazing friend, Joe, who's joining us i so excited! What yeah, I wonder what he'll insist on that we call him. Whether it's like Justice Joe M or Jome or I, Joseph.
1: I have just drafted him as Other Joe. Other, I, <laughs> so I actually it's think Joe that's good. and Other Joe.
0: I have to. This is my podcast, so I yeah. have to be the initial Joe at least, even though he's better than me in every way. So <laughs> you know, it's fine.
1: We'll see.
0: We'll see. All right, let's get to some. Let's get to some cases.
1: Awesome.
0: Hey everyone, it's Joe. I am so excited to announce that today's episode is sponsored by Game Masters Merchant. Is your campaign becoming stale and predictable? Does it lack like the pizzazz of sessions gone by? If so, then pick up the Deck of Many Things by Game Masters Merchant. That's right, the Deck of Many Things. Remember from Critical Role Campaign One when Grog got sent, you know, you know. The Deck of Many Things is an extraordinarily powerful set of 22 magical cards in the D&D universe that is sure to reinvigorate your players and take your campaign to the next level. The deck is made from premium 280 gram blue core card stock. It features original artwork on the deck's 22 legendary cards. You guys, I even helped edit those. I'm amazing. The deck is available on the Game Master's Merchants Etsy shop and will be available on Amazon soon. These cards are absolutely beautiful. You guys, I have a set of these and we have a special promotional offer. That's right. If you use the code RAW10 on Etsy, you can get 10% off a purchase of the Deck of Many Things through February 1st. 10%. That's fucking awesome. Again, that offer code is RAW10 on Etsy. So go and get these cards. They're amazing. And, you know, send your players to, like, the Astral Sea or something. The Game Master's Merchant. GMMerchant.com
1: Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. The Honorable Chief Justices Joe and Anna and Associate Justice Other Joe of the Supreme Court of D&D. All persons having business before this court are admonished to draw near give their attention and plug in their headphones for the court is now sitting
0: That's right so we have our first guest today Woo-hoo. Joe other Joe welcome to the show
2: Thanks for having me guys longtime listener first-time caller) <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, we're so happy to have you here. Joe
0: um, is, of course, a player in uh, my campaign. He plays with Anna. Um, we're best friends. Yeah, your I characters just, are besties. I felt like
1: everybody needed to know that.
0: <laughs> um, and uh, you also hosted a one-shot for Anna and I and Shannon. That's right. I did. Joe, why don't you sort of just tell us briefly like, how you got into D&D?
2: Sure. Uh, Well, I've always been a big fan of uh, the fantasy genre. Generally, you know, grew up reading Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and so forth. And uh, in high school, actually, uh, there there was a group of kids that was in my class that uh, played D and D, and I had kind of talked to them about it and tried to see if I could uh, wedge my way into a game, but. Uh, ultimately, they decided I couldn't join the party because I played sports and D&D was their non-sports thing, <laughs> so uh, I was politely oh. declined. Uh, but then Damn uh, jocks. recently, uh, th- thanks to thanks to adult nerdy hobbies, uh, I-, I made friends with uh, you, Joe, and-, and a few other folks who play and got invited to a game, I don't know, a year and a half ago. Uh, and that campaign went on for a, a few sessions uh, mm-hmm. before our, our DM uh, got called up for National Guard duty, I think. And uh, Right
0: right at the time COVID started. So right. It was a crazy mix of things.
2: So um, then that went on pause until I got invited to your campaign and at the same time a couple others. So now I'm in two going on three campaigns and learned how to dm and bought all the books and too many dice and painted a bunch of minis <laughs> and i'm i'm all in
0: i will say joe you are an excellent mini painter um so kudos to you on why well, thank you um you are also an attorney yeah
1: right. also true that's it's literally that's our entire friend circle
0: lawyers yeah. that play D <laughs> and and a
2: couple and a couple doctors <laughs>
0: A couple of doctors. Um, And what kind of law do you practice?
2: Uh, I do civil litigation. So pretty much everything that's not going to send somebody to jail. I um, mostly uh, defend uh, folks in civil cases. Uh, And I do a lot of medical malpractice and personal injury defense and things like that. Awesome.
0: Well, we're going to use all that personal injury defense to talk about barbarians (laughs) later. But first, the court. We'll hear two cases today. First, we will hear arguments on people v. passive perception. The question before this court is as follows. Should perception checks start at a base of a player's passive perception and they can roll for hire, or should the role stand on its own? Fellow justices, uh, Justice Anna, would you like to maybe begin?
1: Yes, I have a lot of thoughts on this. First of all, I think I am under the same misconception that maybe a lot of players are that passive perception in the world of D&D just means like when you're walking down the street like what your perception is that's evidently not how the book defines it or if it's it's like something more nuanced than just your like regular perception
0: well I think no I think that's correct but but it's specifically your whether you pick up on things that the DC has been set at at a specific level. So if you have a plus five to perception, your passive perception is going to be 15. If the DM sets a 15 DC perceptible check, then you're going to notice that. the DC uh, The DM should describe that to you without you having to roll for it at all. The DM should just interrupt the game and say, as you're walking down the street, you notice X. So you're right. Okay, so how the
1: book defines it is such a check can represent the average result for a task done repeatedly or can be used when the DM wants to secretly determine whether the characters succeed at something without rolling
0: dice. Sure. So I think they're giving you two options on how to use it. I would never use the initial one. I, I would either, I wouldn't say, oh, okay, your passive perception's 15. Then on average, I'm, I'm not going to let you roll for perception. I'm just going to say, you got a 15. That's done. <laughs>
1: so yeah okay so you're a dm let me ask you this like how often are you aware of what our passive perceptions are as players that you're giving us information that you think we're entitled to without having us roll for it
0: right i typically don't rely a lot on passive perception right um when it comes to noticing things in the environment um passive perception is important for how stealth mechanics operate in game so usually combat it's more it's more important because in order to succeed at hiding you have to roll a stealth check above the other creature's passive perception or they can do a perception check to determine whether they they notice you um but i i think it depends like if i'm creating like a dungeon that specifically has traps in it I will pay much more attention to the character's passive perception and point things out. But I typically rely on, um, I, I mean, I guess I, I haven't really had the opportunity in your campaign to do that a whole lot.
1: The way I imagine it is like, if I tell my DM, hey, I'm keeping my eyes out for like traps or or an enemy or anything coming out, just that's passive perception at play, right? Like, and so I expect the DM to tell me the things that would have reached a 14 or whatever my passive perception is. But if I tell you like I am specifically looking for goblins or I am specifically looking for this particular thing, then I should have to roll for it because then it's no longer passive. It's like I'm, I'm putting in an effort to, to search for something. I think we should let, uh, justice other Joe weigh in here.
0: Yeah. Justice Joe, what do you think?
2: Uh, what Anna just described is kind of how I view it. Um, in terms of using it in game mechanics, uh, n- not to step on a later topic, but uh, in a one shot, the, the one you mentioned I did, as it got on in length a little bit, I started using passive perception for the characters, especially because we had two rogues to just speed up the gameplay rather than, you know, when you walked into a room, I was giving more detail than I probably would have otherwise uh, just to keep things moving. But what, uh, Anna said is, is kind of how I view passive versus active.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's correct. And I think so. So usually when I'm, when I want to, and I've done this in your campaign, I think, um, I will typically ask the players, what is everyone's passive perception? Um, normally because I forget to write, to write that down and I don't usually have it in front of me immediately, which I should cause whatever, um, but uh and then uh, if if everyone tells me and no one's passive perception is above you know X, then I know, okay, I don't have to worry about it. Some of them I know because I know that your no one's passive perception at level five, which is what you guys are at um, is above a 20 uh, because I know that the only creature that could have that would be our rogue and he took expertise in stealth and does not have, um, a high enough wisdom to have a perception that high. So, um, b- but I just know that from having played, you know, a lot of D and D and just knowing that none of you have a plus 10 or perception. Um, but if it's something like a 15, then I'll definitely ask the party, you know, especially our wisdom based characters, like our Druid, Hey, what's everyone's passive perception? Because he, I think does have a, at least a 15. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think both of you are correct. Like I, I will use passive perception to determine who notices things in the environment uh, as they're a- that they're not actively looking for. And then I will require active roles for if you are looking for something specific. But here's the crux of the issue. If you roll, if your passive perception is a 15 um, and you roll an 8, does that mean, and let's say the DC is a 16, so you miss the DC. But you would have, as the DM, I would have given you more information on on a 14 than a 5, so or, or a 15 than a 5. So you already meet the 15 with your passive perception, but you roll below that. So here's the question is, which should trump? Should it be your active role or your passive perception? And what do you guys think about that? Go ahead, Joe.
2: The roll stands. If you have to roll, the roll's the roll, and that's what you get.
1: Um, again, I'm going to have to go with an it depends. Like, if the thing...
2: Spoken like a true lawyer. It right?
1: depends! It depends! <laughs> um, yeah, like, if I asked you a question, and the answer to that question was an eight on my die, uh, then the roll stands. That's what it is. I was specifically looking for a thing, and I was clearly distracted by something. Because I rolled
0: an eight. Exactly, (laughs) and so, and that's how I would describe the discrepancy. Which you do in our campaign.
1: You're always like, that's what is always really funny too, because you're always like, well, Anna was clearly singing to herself or something. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, but that's how you describe it. Is like, okay, so if you're looking for goblins, let's say you're walking through a forest and you're looking through goblins in the in the forest. Um, If your passive perception is 15 and you roll a seven. Um then the way I would explain that is, um, you know, yeah, your passive perception's high, but you are actively looking and you fixate on something you swear is a goblin and it turns out to be a bush. <laughs> and and that happened to me once when I was in college. I You searched was not for, goblins for goblins and you found a bush. I was <laughs> i was not searching for goblins i was outside of my dorm like at like at night so it was dark and i was walking up to my dorm and i saw a family of little bunnies and i was like oh my god there's bunnies and i looked around and no one else was around and i swear to god if someone was watching me they would have been like this person is insane because i was like i was like oh my god bunnies and i was like i like crept up and i got closer and closer for about a about two minutes i did this only to realize that they were not bunnies but roots Coming up from the ground. And then I realized it and immediately stood up straight, looked around, and walked right into my building because I felt like a moron. I Um, thought at
2: some point this was going to involve you being really drunk or something on the way home from the (laughs) (laughs) bar. was
0: totally dead-ass sober. But that's an example, right, of how me using my active perception and failing miserably behind me could have been a fucking wolf and I wouldn't have known because I was focused on these fake bunnies. So I, I think that's a nice way to explain away the issue. Now, of course, a DM is always free to say, well, you don't notice anything there, but with your passive perception, you do pick up this. That, I think, is fine. Yeah. Um, but at, at the end of the day, if... If the if the player is specifically looking for something and the DC you set or would have set is below or meets their passive perception, then you just don't ask them to roll for it. You just tell them what they see. Um, and then if 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 it's a situation where um, you know, you're walking down a hallway and none of your PCs have a high enough passive perception to detect the trap that you laid, then no one picks it up. And unless someone calls to roll a perception check or unless you as a DM say everyone make perception checks and someone rolls high enough, they're just not going to see the trap.
1: This makes sense to me. This is reasonable.
0: Yeah. All right. So do we think we're ready to roll on this? Um, uh, let's start with our guest uh, Justice Other Joe. What is your what is your ruling?
2: I think our our ruling is uh, consistent with what we've discussed that, uh, I mean, I don't know exactly what the posed question is to answer in the ruling (laughs) at this point. So should the role stand on its own? I I think that if a role is made, the role should stand on its own. Justice Anna?
1: Yep, I'm going to go with my, it depends, but the role should stand on its own.
0: I will also join in the majority opinion and write a concurrence that says DM discretion, whether they want to give more information, of course, um, but the role stands on its own.
1: I feel like every single one of your concurrences is going to end with DM discretion.
0: I know, it's so stupid.
1: (laughs) As a DM, I'd like to give myself discretion
0: You just wait until we have a plurality, and then I'm gonna like, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna join in your majority. I'm gonna concur in the results only, but have a totally different explanation, and then just fuck everyone over. Um, uh, All right, so the case, uh, well, I guess it's already been fully submitted, and we've ruled. So that is our holding. Anna, would you like to uh, introduce the next case? Sure. Sorry, Justice Anna. Oh my God.
1: Damn right. For our second case, the court will now hear arguments on in re barbarian terminal velocity. The question before this court is as follows. What is the maximum distance a barbarian can fall and survive?
0: Mm -hmm. I love this Uh, expertly phrased. Um, Justice Other Joe, I think this was a question you submitted. Um, So why don't you sort of walk us through how you came upon this?
2: Sure, so uh I went down a uh, a Reddit rabbit hole of D and D which anyone could spend hours upon wait, hours wait. in.
1: Joe, are you sure it wasn't a Reddit root hole? <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't feel help it. I couldn't help personally it.
0: Personally
2: attacked right now. <laughs> My passive perception was high enough to know. <laughs> That was I was on Reddit, <laughs> not <laughs> clearly mine was not. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, I, uh, I I came upon this discussion or, or debate between a few different people about terminal velocity and how it's it's dealt with and rules as written versus uh, homebrew systems to address some shortfalls of of the rules as written. So I submitted the question uh, for discussion and. The, my point is that as a barbarian, once you hit either level 6 or 7, depending on uh, how your health is uh, selected or rolled, or if you take averages, uh, essentially you can't die from a fall. Um, because terminal velocity under the rules is written on page 183 of the player's handbook, Uh, The maximum damage you can take is uh, 20d6 or 120 damage, Uh, and that would be, of course, if you rolled all sixes. Uh, So if you've got 61 health or more, uh, so if you're at full health as a level 6 or 7 or higher barbarian, uh, and you rage while falling, you take half damage and therefore would be left with uh, with one point of health. Um, the other, the other, uh, caveat in here is, uh, if you're a half orc, um, and you have, uh, wh- what is it? Relentless endurance, I think. Um, you, you would pop back up with one health, even if you fell below zero, as long as you didn't die instantly. So you could fall as a half-orc barbarian even at at less health or a lower level and still manage to survive a very, very tall fall.
0: (laughs) Right. So I, I did a lot of research into this when you first asked me about this question because I hated the answer that I was coming to, which was that, yeah, the maximum damage that you could get from fall damage per the player's handbook is 120 damage. That's... 20d6 and you roll sixes on all of them. Um and I just didn't like that result because it didn't stick with me because I felt like in D&D um the environment is supposed to be so, you know, quote-unquote realistic in this crazy fantasy world or whatever world you're in that like yeah, things like falling should have consequences. But if you think about it, this issue, it you know, it, it's not just limited to barbarians, it actually has broad applicability um to a number of characters so any character class like um you have paladins fighters um rangers and barbarians and there might even be more that have over either have a, a d10 or a d12 for hit dice the likelihood is they're going to have over 100 well over 100 hp um by the time they're level 15 and and certainly above that um, by the time they're level 20 um So even any of those characters without having resistance, assuming you were not a barbarian that raged um, and that you couldn't rage right before you hit the ground. So you take half bludgeoning damage. um, You still would survive that impact as would a creature that cast the spell stone skin that gives them resistance to bludgeoning damage. So um, you likewise would also more than likely survive that fall Um, And the more I looked into it, the more I sort of just came around to realizing that, yeah, the point is, you know, by the time by the time you're fifth level, you're essentially like already heroes at fifth level, which means by the time you're 10th level, you're basically like gods. Well, close. I mean, you're sort of like (laughs) like supreme beings, like other, you know, otherworldly beings. By the time you're fifth level, you're like demigods. And by the time you're 20th level, you are god-like in terms of how powerful you are so yeah a god wouldn't no matter how far far a god fell they wouldn't they wouldn't die from that fall that makes sense right
1: yeah i mean the math checks out guys so
0: yeah I, i mean rule so here's the thing right rules as written um Uh, Yes, Uh, a a barbarian could easily or anything with resistance to bludgeoning or a lot of HP could easily survive max fall damage. And rules as written, the maximum you can give is 20d6. But this is where homebrew rules become very important. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I actually looked into this a bit. So an average human would reach terminal velocity at 1500 feet. So if you fell 1500 feet then that would be the equivalent of 150d6 worth of damage. Um, and I believe the average of that is like 700 damage. Um, so cl- so like not only would you like go unconscious, you would instantly just die. Um, so if you wanted to make falling more dangerous or more realistic, um, then you absolutely could. Um, and I, I actually came across something. I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but uh, apparently in first edition, falling damage was supposed to be you fall 10 feet and it's 1d6. Then for every, for every 10 feet above that, you add another d6 on top of the previous fall. So if you fell 20 feet, it would be 1d6 for the first 10 feet and 2d6 for the second 10 feet for a total of 3d6. Um, So you can imagine, right. You can imagine that falling from a hundred feet is now suddenly way more dangerous um, under those rules. And apparently there was a misprint when it was printed. And uh, obviously players much preferred the rules as they were printed in the book. So they just kept it that way. Who knows? Uh, You might be able to research that more, but interesting. Well,
1: it's funny because Joe and I were talking before we started recording and Joe was telling me about how in his campaigns, he likes to keep his characters alive through levels one and through five, right? Like he likes to keep them alive. And hearing him talk now, it sounds like his goal is to keep us alive one through five and then to go out of his way to kill us five <laughs> through 20. <laughs> Fuck you and your God status. I'm rolling okay. 100 <laughs> D6. You're okay, all dying listen.
0: from this fall. For all the <laughs> listeners, both Anna and Joe, in the last game that we played... Their their group of five level five characters um defeated a challenge rating 13 creature handily. Um so well done and also fuck off because <laughs> you guys can take on big challenges. Um no, it's never my intention. Like I never want to kill characters, but I noticed that I have a really hard I mean this is a whole we could have a whole other discussion about this, but I have a really hard time holding back. For, um for, uh, Sorry, I have a really hard time um, letting myself go when I know something is going to result in a character's death. So I'm trying to be better about that because I know that at fifth level you have resurrection spells available to you, or at least you have things you could do.
2: Turn, turning it back to, to fall damage, I think a, a relevant issue is how practical is it that you're going to fall from 200 feet? And have that one health, and what's going to happen afterwards? You know, because if right. if you think about it, okay, you fell off a cliff, but the rest of your party's at the top. Now you've got to climb 200 feet before <laughs> you can even get back into the battle and survive. Right. If you fail another climbing uh, check and right. make all your your saving throws, or you know whatever else might happen. Uh, obviously there are going to be ramifications that are broader from a, a, a fall of that height. So the, the chances that it's going to come into play where you fall, take max fall damage, survive, and continue fighting are probably pretty uh, rare to come by and unlikely to happen in most campaigns. Certainly they can happen. I'm definitely going to be looking for every opportunity to make it happen or to do something ridiculous. Uh, but uh, I, I don't <laughs> know. going to that know. It's gonna happen. <laughs>
0: right. You know, I think that's a wonderful point. I mean, yeah. And, and that's really where a DM can get super creative and um, and put obstacles and elevation in their combats specifically. Um, I, I think fall damage is more likely to occur outside of combat because, you know, I don't know how many DMs. Well, I guess it, d- it depends on where you are in your story, but that we are having a battle near like an active cliff off a mountain. <laughs> right. But um, even if that character survives, they're out of the fight effectively. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think that's, that's a great point. Yeah.
2: Well, and part of the discussion I read circled around the fact that, okay, what if your character gets tackled when it's not their turn off of the cliff and Mm -hmm. are you going to be able to rage uh before your character hits the bottom and before rage might drop and so how does that impact uh the analysis in terms of whether you're able to take that half damage or not absolutely
0: yeah and that would and that would all depend because you descend at i think it's like 60 feet Per turn so you'd have to maybe the, the character would have to make an intelligence check to determine whether they would know the point to rage that they would be able to do so within 60 uh, within six seconds because um, that would be one turn. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting.
2: Well and if, if you're tackled are you engaged throughout in an aerial battle where you may be taking damage to maintain a rage? And if you are engaged in an aerial battle, you're likely to be taking damage and losing uh, health along the way. So the likelihood of surviving that fall, uh, if you take you know near max damage, is also uh, less likely.
0: Yep, absolutely. Y'all are nerds. <laughs> You're welcome. Um,
2: it, I'm sorry. I thought that was the point of this podcast. <laughs> I
0: mean, it is. Yeah, it's a compliment. Don't worry. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think in 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 the matter of in ray uh, barbarian fall damage is that we or barbarian terminal velocity, um, I would hold that uh, the maximum damage a barbarian could take per the rules is twenty d six. But of course, there's always room for a DM to insert their own rules. Which I should stop saying because, of course, we all know you can homebrew rules.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll join Justice Joe.
2: I concur.
0: Wonderful. Well, now we're going to do what every court does and just shoot the shit a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, back in October, Anna and I had the privilege, as we had mentioned before, of sitting in as players in Joe's other Joe's very first. Uh, Dm'd one shot where he was dressed as Matt Mercer and it was fucking hilarious. Absolutely. <laughs> I wish I had a picture. I think I do have a picture of, of that night. Maybe with Joe's permission, I can post that on Twitter. And that's but, fine. Because uh, <laughs> it was the wig was just perfection. <laughs> but um, uh, Joe, you had submitted this question to us. You know, what's the appropriate length for a one shot? And then Anna and I kind of expanded on that in terms of, you know, in general, what's the appropriate length for one shots and campaigns? And how does how does timing sort of fall into all of that? So, uh, Joe, do you want to maybe just talk about sort of why why that question sort of came up for you and how you felt DMing for a group?
2: Yeah. So, well, uh, it was my first time DMing and I was definitely nervous uh, about it. And I was running a, a pre-made one shot that was meant for four to five characters of level four to five um and we had a group of four characters that i set at level five with one first time player and and three experienced players uh, including the um, two of you
1: i would not <laughs> include me in the list of experienced players your experience
2: it was, it was not your in first October,
1: session. i had been playing for like three months guys (laughs) no what i know we started in march time is meaningless in (laughs) a pandemic (laughs) but still it wasn't very long okay
2: well it was i had dragged my wife shannon in and it was her first time so uh anyway i i I was and you did wonderfully by the way oh thank you and so did she
0: yeah oh yeah Yeah, she had a blast
2: doing it i think so um it it Still, it was it was supposed to run. I think five hours was what the uh, module said—five to six hours for a a group of that makeup—and I was worried about it running longer and getting too long. Um, And it did run a little bit long. uh, And and I think, especially for uh, first-time players, that's a lot to take in, and uh, you've got to know what the what everybody's ready for and and what the expectations are and uh, what the appetite is to to have a long session versus right. a shorter session. I mean most of our campaign sessions are three to four hours um, and I think that that's great for that setting. Um, and I think a one shot you know once you get to five six hours that becomes a lot unless you've started in the morning and planned in a lunch break and everybody's gung-ho about it you know certainly you can get longer than that but i think at at six hours that's about as long as i would want to do a one shot uh if i were dming it again uh, you mean you wouldn't want
0: to you wouldn't want to go for 11 hours
2: (laughs) I can't Joe believe that from you've. Experience. <laughs> yeah, it, let's let's jump into that story because. Oh my uh,
0: god. Um, well, so, well, Anna, what about you? You know, what are your thoughts? I'm curious to see what you hear, having played, you know, both in a campaign now and having played a one shot.
1: Yeah. Um. So I may have been playing for a few months, but other Joe's one shot was my first exposure to a one shot. Uh, I, I had no idea what to expect. Here's the thing for me. If I could spend like 12 hours playing D and would be happy to, like, <laughs> I just don't think that y- <laughs> you play this game unless you're like, I want to play all the time every day. Just, this is all I want to do. Can I, can I get paid to pay, play D and D? Uh, that's the dream. But I didn't think that your one shot was too long. I thought six hours was perfect. Um, Probably, like, I had mentally prepared myself for five hours, so I was, like, logistics thinking about what happens when the extra hour goes. So, But, okay, regardless of whether it's a, a regular session or a one-shot, to me, I'm like, if I were to DM one of these things, I would expect it to run longer than I think it's going to run, only because... Obviously, you can't predict what's going to happen, even if you have, like, from a book, you're using a campaign, right? Right. But I would be happy that that happened because what happens in both Joe's campaign and what happened in the one shot is that player interaction takes up more time. But that Mm -hmm. is so, so fun. Like I go there 80% because I love the role-playing aspect of it. And so if I'm having like player interaction and we're joking and we're having conversations and we're, you know, it's, it's out of combat interaction. I'm thrilled to be there. Like, it doesn't matter how long we're running. And I feel like that's what makes the game for me. So honestly, one-shot lengths, if they run long, I'm not upset. Because right. that just means that I was just having a good time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's um, I I love and hate the idea of one shots. So I hate the idea of one shots because it is impossible to create the sort of epic narratives that D and D is made for, and fit it into one session, even if that <laughs> session is eleven hours long, which is how <laughs> long my first one shot was. Um, but uh, I, in the same token. How do you introduce people to D&D who may be a little bit hesitant to to sign on to a, a full campaign, especially when you have crazy DMs like me who, for my first campaign, I don't know if I did this for you guys, but in my other campaign, I like... I had a soundtrack where I like pieced together music and I timed my narrative to it so that as I was talking, things in- yeah, Anna's giving me this look like oh god, um, <laughs> like like the music switched and then it went to like a like crashing waves because they were on a boat and it was just like, it's like okay yeah like your DMs are insane right. Um, so how do you introduce someone to D and D and get them comfortable to the idea of playing without letting them just be like, this is a four hour commitment. And then you're fucking done. You don't have to come back if you don't like it. Um, so, and so I think one shots are great for that purpose. I, that being said, I don't like running them. Um, a friend of ours, Heather, who we talked about before, um, had recently asked me to, to do a one shot for her and some of her friends from college. Um, And I was like, sure. And then I quickly realized that in order to give them the kind of experience A, they were looking for and B, that I want to be known for providing, I was going to have to make this more than one game long. So now we're doing like a little mini arc, like four to six session mini campaign. Um, And uh, I am going to be able to tell a much richer and engaging story. And they are going to have such a more enjoyable time playing because of all those things you said about, you know, opportunities to role play and, and, and all of that. So I have kind of taken the, the mantra of when it comes to one shots for me, one shot refers to one story or one narrative, not one session. So tell the story you're going to tell. And if it takes two sessions to tell it great, But inform your players of that. Say, okay, look, we're going to play this. It's scheduled for four hours. If it goes longer than that and we have a sizable chunk to finish, let's set a second date and let's finish it up on that day. But I'm going to tell the story that I'm trying to to have you all experience. So for me, the one shot refers to that narrative or story. The like one arc. Yeah. One arc, I think, is better than this concept of one shot. And, you know, you can always introduce people to D&D, like tell them to watch Dimension 20 or Critical Role. Like there's a whole bunch of media for you to consume to learn what D&D is. um, And two sessions really isn't that different than one.
1: I I, I do agree that one shots are an excellent way of introducing people into the world of D&D. When Joe asked me to play, he definitely didn't tell me that sessions were, like, four hours long. (laughs) And in my head, I was like, yeah, like we play for half an hour this will be fun this will be great and then I didn't realize until we sat down for our first actual I'm session I'm so sorry
0: and he's like and we'll be
1: done around 10 30 and I'm like what
0: no I it had to have been at our session zero I definitely would not have like brought you in the the day we started playing and told you that
1: maybe maybe I just remember being really floored here's my only problem with one shots I become really really attached to the characters I make and I'm like no I want to keep playing them so I know I can save them for later campaigns but I always make somebody new and then I get really attached to them and then I want to keep playing them forever so that's my only problem with one shots
2: well and, and I'll I'll run the uh, Halloween part two so you can bring back your creepy old man with oh arthritis God. medication <laughs> and so forth well he was I a
1: four 400- was a great use of my gold to buy arthritis tinctures. <laughs>
0: He was a 499-year-old a gnome. Is that yes. what it was?
1: <laughs> Something like that. Named Tonk Humble Bumble. <laughs> yep. He was precious. He talked like this. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he sounded like the pervert from Family Guy.
0: That's Love it. it. That was my inspiration.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Oh,
0: man. Yeah. Um, so, Joe, ha- having run that and now playing as a player in three campaigns, I mean, I guess are you looking back like are you still sort of I mean I I agree with Anna I felt like a six hours and five hours is so it's so similar that I wasn't um I you know I, I wasn't thrown off by the timing if anything I think it was just an exhausting time for all of us because it was October we played in person so we did social distancing and masks and it you know in general any uh any game under those conditions is gonna feel very like, onerous but um... and we started
1: in the afternoon versus the morning right? right so that was a whole
0: right
2: but yeah I think all that said
0: I mean you told the story you wanted to tell right
2: yeah I did and I, I loved it and uh I I, I kind of modified the the story a little bit to change the encounters and to to build in some different elements <laughs> and to to use the cool minis that you had and and I had <laughs> painted because I-, I wanted to uh, so I got to do exactly what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I think you're right that under normal conditions, you know, putting normal in, in air quotes, uh, when we didn't have to be spread out uh, as much as possible and be wearing masks the whole time and so forth, uh, would have made it a little more fun and would have made it easier to go a little longer. Um, and, and But all in all, I think one shots are super fun. Um, I really enjoyed DMing. Uh, I definitely want to do it again, but between multiple campaigns, uh, I d- and and work because turns out you still have to. <laughs> I was work. waiting for him. Like, um, is he
1: going to mention real life at all, or just the multiple <laughs> campaigns? Trying <keeping> <laughs>
2: trying to uh, balance all that and you know homebrew a world um and run a campaign that meets regularly it just there's not enough time in a day unfortunately um so i I think that at least for the time being i'm gonna keep working on and and try writing some of my own um one shots and i think figuring out that time balance uh in the length of a one shot and then the number of encounters to have in the one shot and exactly how much story you can pack into, you know, five, six hours uh, is going to be uh, an interesting skill to master. Um, but I've got, I've got lots, of, lots of stories running around in, in my mind, so I'm excited to subject the two of you and hopefully some <laughs> others to uh, some of those ideas. Yeah, I was nope. just
1: about to insist that if he ever wants to come back on the podcast, I better get invites to all of the one shots. Yeah, <laughs> by the way, yeah, this is how
0: we, yeah, it's a contract now. We're all agreeing. Okay. That's right. Meeting okay. of the minds. Um, no, I, 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 think that's a great point, and it's funny that you mentioned that you, you, know, you modify on the fly. Like, I, it's funny because you guys, um, you know, you, you, you haven't DM'd a campaign. I make shit up that I did not have planned constantly. <laughs> like I, I will just like half of the shit that you guys encounter is just completely made up from my mind, and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, you know, go flying off the cuff here, and you have to do that as a DM.
2: Um, well, you had you had my character find a bar that had pit fights, and I think you told me after the fact <laughs> that you totally made all that up. Because we were kind of at the end of the content that you had planned for that session. Is that right?
0: I'm, I'm not going to lie. I made up most of that entire session. And so, and your your character, Kaz the Barbarian, found uh, a bar in this do- underground dwarven city. Um, and, and, there happened to be this like arena fight going on and you participated so i had to come up with this like paladin character on the fly just based on what i know about paladins and uh it was fine and you i think it was freaking me, awesome
2: yeah I think, it was yeah, so it was cool
0: <laughs> you had told me after like that was like one of your favorite parts that you had ever played in d d and i was like okay like you know yeah so i mean any any good dm is gonna have to be able to improvise on the fly and that's just like unfortunately, that's just part of Well, not unfortunately. I mean, I think, fortunately, that's part of being a DM. You really get to sort of exercise those muscles.
2: Well, and the reason it was one of my favorite exchanges was not just because of the battle. It was because there was a whole role play session between my character and a character that was done by the DM and then party (laughs) members to find the bar. And then we went to the bar and then had the battle and all the party members were betting on... Or against my character, and then afterwards the characters partied and celebrated. That's right. And there was more great role playing, and the the whole exchange in that last hour of that uh, campaign session was just one of the best uh, role playing and uh, story progression moments, and and it was just great. Yeah,
1: I, I couldn't agree more. Being like. Being one of the people that was there and got to interact <laughs> <laughs> with our other PCs, that, that session was so fun. It was Good. so I'm, fun.
0: I'm glad you guys had fun. I mean, I, and obviously that's always my goal. Fun, this is a game, right? So fun, well, and fun doesn't always mean happy, but fun means fun. And uh, I'm so fortunate to have wonderful players like you two because uh, in, in both of my campaigns, I have five really great Role players, and uh, that is really hard to find um, when when you're kind of just searching among your friend groups. And so, not only am I friends with all of you, which is great, but uh, I, I, you get to be players, and and you bring so much to the table. I think starting. I mean, we're we're off topic, whatever. But like starting in D anD D, getting someone to role play is so hard at first. And you both just, like, jumped right in and have done such a good job. Uh, Even Joe in the campaign. I I don't know if you know this, Anna, but I play Umbra or played Umbra uh, before in the campaign that I was in with Joe. Um, So she's a recycled character, but... She was just as horny and sexual in that campaign as she is in the <laughs> one.
2: <laughs> well, and that that was my first campaign. And honestly, I didn't really role play hardly at all in those first couple sessions because I didn't know how to play. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the mechanics were. I didn't know what my character was doing. And so I was just trying to see what the rest of the group was doing and how it kind of worked And towards the end, which I think we only got five sessions in before the the campaign ended uh, for the reasons we talked about earlier, um, but I was just kind of starting to get into that character and Mm -hmm. figure out how he was going to interact with the group and uh, all that kind of stuff. So when I came into this one, uh, I at least knew who my character was going to be, I'd made up a real backstory, I'd really invested and had a solid picture in my mind of who this person was and how I was going to embody and play him. And then once you have other people who also role play and play off you, then Mm -hmm. it it just kind of starts to take its own shape and and progression.
1: Yeah, I'm the complete opposite, actually, when like, Mm -hmm. when I first started playing, I was like, wow, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to play, but what I do know is how to pretend to be a (laughs) half-elf secret princess. So that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Literally, the only thing I accomplished that first session was acting. (laughs) Everything else, I was like,
0: now what do I roll, Joe? (laughs) Right. No, but I mean, it was so wonderful that you were there to sort of like you had those acting chops. Right. So um, you you busted out the British accent right away, which was great. And you like, you know, you helped get the rest of the party. You and, and uh, 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 Andrew, one of our players who is not in the campaign anymore, both, you know, with with his experience in D&D and you with your acting brought really helped the role play come out. And I think that is what. Um, just really brought that campaign together. And then later on we had Joe enter with his character and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good time. Well, okay. So to keep us somewhat on track, <laughs> um, I think, yeah, sort of to wrap up the discussion on like length of sessions and lengths, uh, or, uh, length of a one shot. Um, I think my advice would be, don't worry about it too much and tell the story you want to tell.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That makes sense to me. That sounds great. At at least in in the context of the one-shots I want to run, I I do want to tell a contained story in a single session. And I think if that is your goal, I think five to six hours is about right with a little bit of hopeful flexibility from your players. Uh, And the key is really just to set expectations and let your players know that it may be shorter it may be longer it all depends on how things are going to go and what you guys want to do and then as the dm you just have to be ready to go off script and improvise and take out interactions and rooms and you know mm-hmm. maybe you had yeah. a monster in this room and instead you just say it's a bear room move on
1: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> keep going <laughs> Uh, now I kind of want to DM a one shot. Do
2: it, Anna. You should. Do it.
1: Sounds really fun. <laughs> great are British are baking of,
2: show. There are lots of great pre-made ones that you can find, and Joe and I will send you to the resources.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you'll play. Yes, and play. I will
0: play the yeah. most ridiculous, obnoxious character <laughs> I can muster, just for you. That's the goal. <laughs> All right. Well, Joe, other justice, other Joe. Um, <laughs> thank you for gracing this court with your um with your presence and obviously you will be back to chat with us on some other issues.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. It was great.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, this was so fun.
2: Yeah.
0: So, um once again, you can catch us um uh I think we're going to try and uh, release episodes every Monday. We might skip a Monday here and there and we'll let you guys know on Twitter when we do just cuz we edit and uh do all of the the legwork for all of this ourselves in addition to our full-time jobs um but it's uh, sweet that joe says we it's he (laughs) (laughs) he does all the things no and then anna manages all of our social media um so you know uh it's just a lot for us but um yeah so find us on twitter at um raw and order dnd very important um raw and order dnd at gmail.com and then our facebook same thing raw and order dnd and until next time um uh i don't know what we should say to close court adjourned court is it why do i why do i not know this court is adjourned (laughs) It's adjourned. It's adjourned.
2: It's because you aren't in actual court I'm very not, often. I'm not a litigator <laughs> anymore. <laughs> you, guys, you guys can uh, sign me up. I'm a free agent for bailiff, and I will just make the calls for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that might be what we need, but I don't think you're famous enough, Joe. Yeah, That's
2: you're not fair. famous not yet.
0: After this episode, we'll, we'll yeah. We'll
2: see. You just need to start tagging uh, Judge Judy or Judge Joe Brown or try try to get one of those not real judges, but sort of judges. <laughs> I, hey, Judge Judy's a real judge. Is she?
0: Yeah. Huh? Well, I don't know about Judge Joe Brown, but day. Judge Judy, Yeah, she is. Okay. Anyway, Judith shineland look it up. Okay. Everyone, court is adjourned. We will see you next time.
2: Bye. Bye Screwed this up. <laughs> I didn't know when we were clicking record. I didn't know which one was clapped.
0: At okay, the very instructions least were you poor. have to clap. After How many three? lawyers does it take? All right, ready? One, two.